The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 5, David Platt explores Scripture's teaching on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. After looking at the mystery behind the Spirit's identity, as well as the way the Spirit has been viewed historically by the Church, this study focuses on the person and work of the Spirit. Finally, a number of significant issues related to the Spirit are addressed. Blasphemy against the Spirit, baptism in the Spirit, filling with the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit. For The Secret Church 5, study guide, and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC5. And this is Secret Church 5, Episode 5. In Acts, the one who possessed the Spirit now pours out the Spirit. The one who possessed the Spirit now pours out the Spirit. Included that promise there from John 14, 12. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Even greater things. And then that quote from John 7 where Jesus said, once I'm glorified, I'll send the Spirit to you. So let's read what happens when the Spirit comes. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Picture this. Almost like it's the first time you've ever read it. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire and separate, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both the Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they are tanked. They have too much wine. So, what a scene. Can you just imagine being gathered together? All of a sudden, the sound like a violent wind, like a tornado comes in, tongues of fire resting on the people around you. Everybody starts speaking in different languages, representing the nations. People think we've had a long night in downtown Birmingham, Alabama. This is the picture. What an amazing scene. So what is going on here, though? Three main truths that we're seeing here that are being inaugurated with the Spirit in the church. We've seen the Spirit with Israel, the Spirit on Christ, the Spirit in the church. First, the Holy Spirit enables the church, is enabling the church to experience God's presence. To experience God's presence. Not actually a wind, something like this with the sound of a wind. All throughout the Old Testament. Hold your place here, hold your place here and go back with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Need to use the table of contents, find Ezekiel chapter 37. I want you to look with me at verse 9. All throughout Old Testament, New Testament, we've already seen this. Wind is imagery that represents the Spirit of God. 
And so I want you to remember what had been prophesied back with the Spirit with Israel in Ezekiel chapter 37. Remember Ezekiel chapter 36 is when the promise was given, I'm going to put my Spirit in you. And then Ezekiel chapter 37, look with me at verse 9. This is the prophecy in Ezekiel. He said to me, Ezekiel talking, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to them, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. That verse, verse 14 Spirit with Israel. But listen to the preposition there. I will put my spirit not with you, but in you. And you will live. This picture of breath coming to life. And you've got Acts 2 here. Pentecost. And the presence of God with the people of God from the Old Testament. Now coming to live in people. No longer dwelling with his people, but in his people. Experience God's presence. Second, the Holy Spirit enables the church to obey God's commands. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now it's at this point we need to realize Pentecost was a Jewish feast. Jews from all over the world came to it as, as is described here. And it was celebrated 50 days after the Passover. 50th. 50 days after the Passover. And it was traditionally celebrated. It was a celebration for when, the, when, when God gave his people the law, the Ten Commandments. So 50 days after the Passover, they celebrate when God gave his people the law, the Ten Commandments. And so that's what, you've got people gathering over all together 50 days after the Feast of Pentecost, after the Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, which you'll remember, the Passover is Luke 22 through 24 when Jesus was crucified. That happened during the time of the Passover. So now you've got 50 days later, the people of God coming together for a celebration of the giving of the law in the Old Testament. Now, hold your place here in Acts 2 and go back with me to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. And this is when God gave his people the law. And I want you to listen to Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. This is some of what we were talking about earlier. Moses meets with God on the mountain, but not everybody gets to go be on the mountain. Just Moses meeting with God, and he's giving his law. Listen to this picture. Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in what? In fire. The smoke built up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people. They do not need to force their way to see the Lord. And many of 
they do not force, so that they do not force their, their way to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. So what you've got is this picture of God descending on the mountain, and a picture of fire, and the people of God don't even, don't even tell them not to come, not to force their way here and, and die in the process. You come. This is what happened when God gave the law. And then you get to Exodus chapter 20, and that's exactly what happened. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. And then following, keep going, Exodus 20 through 31 is the giving of the law. And then you come to Exodus chapter 32, which is where we were earlier, where we started tonight. Moses came down, golden calf, sees them worshiping this golden calf, and he intercedes for them because they... He hasn't even gotten down the mountain with the law, and they're already breaking the law, right? And so what happens? Exodus chapter 32, verse 28. The Levites, well, starting verse 27, he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth of the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And on that day, about 3,000 of the people died. So, Old Testament, Exodus 19. God revealing his glory through the giving of the law at a mountain, through fire, people's disobedience to the law, 3,000 men die. It just so happens that on this day called Pentecost, the celebration of the giving of the law, the Spirit of God descends upon his people, Tongues of fire separating on each of these people. And they preach. They preach the gospel. And you get to Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 41. Anybody remember how many people turned to Christ? That is one cool coincidence. That is a sovereign God who is showing his people that a new day has dawned. 3,000 people trusting in Christ there in Acts chapter 2 on the day when they celebrate, the day when the law was given. They were unable to, unable to obey this law. 3,000 men die. Now the Spirit is in them to enable them to obey the law, and 3,000 men come to life. The Spirit is in us to experience God's presence, to obey God's command, and then third, to fulfill God's purpose. What they do is they start preaching in all of these different languages. You go back, we don't have time to turn there, but Genesis chapter 11, remember the nations, Tower of Babel, where they're erecting this tower for themselves to make a name for themselves, and they're scattered with all their different languages. And then Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, God says to Abraham, you're going to be my people, and you're going to take my blessing to all the peoples of the earth, all the languages and all the nations of the earth. You come to Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God comes upon his people and you see them proclaiming the gospel in all these different languages. A foretaste of Revelation chapter 7. There's 9 and 10. Day when people from every language, tribe, people will gather around the throne and sing salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb at the center of the throne. This is the picture. The purpose of God in Genesis chapter 12 that he would bless his people so that all nations would know he is good coming to life here in Acts chapter 2 with a foretaste of what is to come in Revelation chapter 7. What's happening in Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit is inaugurating a shift here, a major shift. 
You've got your notes there. From a few of God's people to all of God's people. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, this transitory presence of the Spirit in the Old Testament, not only was it transitory, not only was His presence transitory, was He transitory in that way, but it was just on select people, on a few people. Instead, when you get to Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when the 3,000 people come to life, come to salvation, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit there right when they're saved. So from a few of God's people to all of God's people, from limited power to unlimited power, you've got ordinary Galileans speaking in all extraordinary language capacities. You've got Peter preaching the first Christian sermon starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. This is the guy who not long before this was seen denying that he even knew Christ. And now he's boldly proclaiming Christ. What's the difference? The difference is the spirit on him. From limited power to unlimited power and from one nation to all nations. The word being spoken and the power of the spirit in all these languages accessible to every nation under heaven. And, and what happens in response? When the Lord awakens the people through his spirit. Here's what happens. Number one, the church stands in awe. The church stands in awe. You want a cool church growth method? Try Acts 2, 1 through 4. That'll work. That'll get people coming. Things like that start happening. Church is in awe and the world stands amazed. Before, before we dive in to the rest of this picture of the spirit in the church, I want to pause and say one thing here. Uh, Acts 2 is a, is a unique event in redemptive history, not intended to be repeated. We don't, we don't need the Holy Spirit to come down to us in that way because the Spirit dwells in us. Because just like the 3,000 who were saved, we receive the gift of the Spirit when, when we trust in Christ. The Spirit, Spirit's work is what we're about to look at, look at. And so we don't in any way need a repeat of Acts chapter 2 at the same time. In the history of the church, there have been times, periods when God in his sovereign grace has chosen to pour out manifestations of his spirit in unusual ways among his people. 1806, Haystack prayer meeting, some college students begin praying together. They get stranded outside one night with a storm coming. They huddle under a haystack. It became known as the haystack prayer meeting. They began to talk about how the Spirit was awakening them, a desire for foreign mission, which was really unheard of in much of their thinking in 1806. They began to pray together, began to seek the Spirit of God. In the months that followed, a third to one-half of the student bodies at Yale, Dartmouth, Amherst, and Princeton came to Christ mighty awakenings across these college campuses and students started going out to other nations on missions. A hundred years later, 1904 to 1906, Evan Roberts, the Welsh Revival, he preaches a sermon to 17 people on the need for the church, for the people of God to be honest before God. The Spirit of God awakens people's hearts in an amazing way, an indescribable, extraordinary way. In the days to come, basically over the next few months, over, I want to make sure I get this right, within three months, 100,000 people were saved among the churches in Wales. Alcoholism dropped by 50%. The crime rate drops so, so low that policemen formed singing choirs to go around to different churches because they didn't have enough work to do. <laughs> in the history of the church, God has moved 
in mighty ways. And I can't help but to thank 1806, 1906, 2008. To pray that God would do it again in our day. God would do it here. I want to see this kind of move of the Spirit of God among the people of God. Let's be a people who pray like we want that, fast like we want that, live like we want that. Not, not a repeat of Acts 2. We don't need that. We've got the Spirit in us, but we want the Spirit. I want, we want to see an awakening of the Spirit in Birmingham, the United States, in a way that propels us into mission. Here's what we're going to do. I've got, what you've got in your notes there are 12 different ways that the Spirit works in the church. Not that this is completely exhaustive, but this really, I hope, sums up 12 different ways. And we're going to run through them and see because this is where it comes to life. All that we've seen that's built up to this point, this is how it applies to us. This is what the Spirit does in our lives. Not with Israel, not on Christ, in the church, in us, the Spirit in us. First, the Spirit regenerates, regenerates. And what I'll do with each one of these 12 roles, functions of the Spirit, I'll give the, the first bullet right underneath the, the bold will be kind of a definition for what, what that means. What does it mean for the Spirit to regenerate? It'll be that way for each one of these. So the Spirit regenerates. The Holy Spirit, that's what we mean when we say the Holy Spirit regenerate, regenerates. What we're saying is the Holy Spirit alone is able to bring new life to God's people. The Holy Spirit alone is able to bring new life to God's people. This is the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3. Look at the verses there. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Born again from above is the language there. Born of the Spirit. Now we got to be careful. We don't need to confuse regeneration. What does it mean to be born again? What I mean by that, uh, Barner Research, for example, talks about how half of, Christian, uh, half of people in America today are born again Christians. Then they go on to talk about how all these born again Christians are living just like everybody else in the world. Well, the reason that's so is because half of people in America are not born-again Christians. What does it really mean to be born again? And it's far deeper than intellectual assent to Jesus sitting in a pew or a seat on a Sunday. Say, well, I, I believe in Jesus. Every intoxicated person I meet on the streets believes in Jesus. Couples sleeping together all over Birmingham believe in Jesus. Families who have not been, had any desire to worship for 20 years say they believe in Jesus. Not a, the question is, have you been born again? Can't confuse your want. We must not complicate regeneration. We don't need to complicate it. But we can't confuse it either. We must be clear on regeneration. What happens in regeneration? What happens when someone is born again? And let me just pause here real quickly and say there is no more important question in this room. Every single one of our eternities in this room is dependent on understanding the answer to this question. What happens when someone is born again? Have you been born again? What does the Spirit do in regeneration? John 3, first, the Spirit opens our eyes. You've got, and I've interdispersed some other scriptures like Acts 16 there, the Lord opening Lydia's heart. But what you've got in John 3 is Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, 
Pharisee. He spent his life obeying the law. He's devout, respected. He's radically devoted to the word, but he has no spiritual life in him whatsoever. And he needs to see. He needs to see his need to be born again. That's what Jesus is starting here. He's saying the new birth is necessary to know God. He says, you must be born again. The only way you can know God is through being born again. It's not an option. You must be born again. No person in this room will spend eternity in heaven unless we are born again. It's necessary to know God. And the new birth is impossible without God. Born again. Who, who can do that? Who chooses to be born? Who in this room decided one day, I'd like to be born? born and come into the earth. You don't do that. You don't do that. It's impossible without God. Why? Well, look at what Scripture says. We're going to fly through these, but this is why. Why we can't give ourselves life. We are morally evil. Genesis 8, 21, every inclination of our heart is evil from childhood. We are spiritually sick. Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. We are slaves to sin. John 8, 34, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You and I are slaves to sin. We are blinded to truth. God of this age, Satan, has blinded our minds. We can't see the light of the gospel. We can't even see it darkened in our understanding. Our hearts are hard, Ephesians 4.18 says. We're lovers of darkness, Ephesians 5.8. We are children of wrath. Romans 5.9 says we were God's enemies. Ephesians 2.3 says we were by nature objects of wrath, children of wrath, and we are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, look at that list. How can those who are morally evil and every inclination of their heart is evil from childhood, how can they choose good? How can those who are sick make themselves well? How can those who are slaves set themselves free? How can the blind give themselves sight? How can lovers of darkness come into the light when they hate the light? That's what John 3 talks about later. How can an object of wrath appease the one who pours out that wrath? How can the dead come to life? This is the picture. The new birth is impossible without God. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And that must happen from above, from the Spirit, which leads to the new birth is dependent on the Spirit. It's kind of the picture in Ezekiel 7, 37 there. We are dead bones and we need life. We need the Spirit to open our eyes. We need Him. Open our eyes to our need for Him. This is what's going on there in John 3. Second, not only open our eyes, the Spirit in regeneration, the Spirit changes our heart changes our heart. I want you to listen with me to this stunningly beautiful passage of Scripture in Titus 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by who? by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. What a picture, what a transformation that happens here. This is what the Spirit does when we are born again. He changes our heart. This is not, this is not us coming to Christ and we think, well, I guess I need to pray this prayer and ask God to forgive my sins so that I can, be, so I can save my skin. I don't really want to. I'm gonna, I want to get out of the line going to hell and get in the line going to heaven, so this is what i got to do. And I'm going to let go of the things of the world that I really love, and I'm going to give myself to what I'm really not that excited about. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is a change of heart. 
Not where we begrudgingly let go of the things of the world so that we hang on to Christ. It's where we see the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see. This stuff does not compare to the treasure we have in Christ. And we cling to Christ because we want Him. This is something the Spirit is doing in us. It's what Ezekiel talks about. When you see born of water and the Spirit in John chapter 3. Must be born of water and the Spirit. What's that talking about? You look at the Old Testament background here. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. I will sprinkle clean, what? Water on you and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new, what? Spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws. So what happens? He changes our hearts. He cleanses us. He makes us clean. That's what the Spirit does. He cleanses us by the work of Christ on a cross. Through his word, we're washed through the word, 1 Peter 1.23. He cleanses us and second, he indwells us. He put his, puts his spirit in us. He opens our eyes and he changes our hearts so that we are cleansed of sin and he dwells in us. And now we want the things of God. We want Christ. And the Spirit does it all. This is what the Spirit does in regeneration. He opens our eyes. He changes our hearts. Third, the Spirit enables our belief. This is what Jesus begins to talk about, especially in John 3, 11 through 17. God so loved the world, you know. The verse, those who believe in him will never perish, have eternal life. No one, and the whole picture here is the Spirit drawing us to him, to him. No one come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last day, John 6, 44. There's other places there. He enables us to turn from sin. The Spirit enables us to turn from sin. To turn from the darkness that we live in. Turn from sin and to trust in Christ. Turn and trust. That's the picture in Acts 2. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Repent. Turn to God so your sins may be wiped out. Believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved. You and your household. All throughout the book of Acts, what you see is turn and trust. Turn and trust. The Spirit in regeneration enables us to turn from sin and trust in Christ. He opens our eyes. He changes our hearts. He enables our faith, and the Spirit transforms our lives. He transforms us for our eternal good, for our good, and for the Father's eternal glory. John 3, 21, Jesus says, it will be clear that what has been done in your life has been done through God. This is the whole picture. This is the quintessential text really on a picture that's coming of regeneration from the Old Testament. And listen to what he says in Ezekiel 36. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things. This is right before he talks about putting his spirit in them. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where I have gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. God is making a great name for himself and turning us from sin, enabling us to trust in Christ for our good and for his glory. It all begs the question, the all-important question, have you been born again? And I would ask every person in this room tonight. There's no more important question than this. Have you been born again by the Spirit? Not asking if you sit in the pew or you attend the activities or you have intellectual assent. Has the Spirit of God opened your eyes to see the depth of your sinfulness and your need for him.
And has he changed your heart? Not have you followed a list of things that somebody's told you to do in order to earn salvation, say these words, pray this prayer. Has your heart been changed by the Spirit of God where he has cleansed your heart of sin and he has put his spirit in you and begun a process of transformation. Not saying everything is transformed and perfect in our life. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But as you begun this process of transformation, as you have turned to him, tr- turned from sin and trusted in Christ, if, if you have never been born again, there is doubt about whether or not you've been born again. I would implore you, I would urge you, I would invite you, even right now, to bow in your heart and say, do I need to be born again? If you know you haven't been born again, you want to be born again, ask the Spirit to do that in you. Even the desire to do that is evidence of His Spirit's work in you. I would encourage you not to let that one question be casually treated in your life. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.